Welcome to a special edition of the Fringe Element Podcast here on the 440 Sports Network, live from Atlanta SEC Media Days. My name is Braden Gall. You can get to me on Twitter at Braden Gall. I am sitting in my hotel room high above the College Football Hall of Fame after wrapping up day number one in Atlanta. Greg Sankey talked. He had one really important thing to say, so we'll get to that. I thought the highlight of the entire day was B.J. Ojolari. I had a chance to ask him a few different things. Very impressive young man. Had an opportunity to talk to him about some rivalries for LSU, so you're going to want to check that out. I also spoke with Scott Rabelais of the Baton Rouge Advocate. We're going to have a great conversation uh, with him. We talked about the quarterback situation, the offensive and defensive lines, Brian Kelly getting acclimated. Also, of course, some interesting commentary by Brian Kelly about fishing and food and accents. We'll get to all of that as well. Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin went today as well. Pretty subdued, pretty chill. Thought Lane Kiffin would actually do something. He did not, so we'll talk about that. And then the Missouri Tigers went today as well on day number one. Uh, Of course, I think they have one of the most perfect definitions of a student-athlete. And we talked to Dave Matter of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. You'll hear from him coming up a little bit later on as well. So a whole lot of stuff planned for you guys today on the show. I'm going to try to give you each day an episode like this recapping each day of SEC Media Days here, Monday through Thursday. I got to jump on a plane on Thursday, so Thursdays may come out either late that night or Friday morning, but I promise I'll get you one. Um, You're going to hear, I'm going to try to talk to every single team or about every single team, and of course, if you want to watch any of these interviews, make sure you check out the YouTube page, 440 Sports. I do want to remind everybody, of course, that that this episode, this week of, of podcasts, Um, This week of shows, this week of content from 440 Sports and Fringe Element is brought to you by J.E. Dunn, our brand new partner, sponsoring us this week. This is one of the healthiest, top 100 healthiest places to work. And sure, if you're in the market for a $50 million building, which I suppose you might be, then make sure you check out J.E. Dunn. That's what they do. That's their core business. They are a massive construction company with $5 billion in annual revenue. But what they really want you to know and why they're sponsoring and working with us is they want you to know how good of a place they are to work. It's really amazing when you actually enjoy going to work, when your bosses actually care about you. This is a family-first business with industry-leading benefits. It has been voted a 2022 best place to work. This is absolutely, if you're looking for a career change, it does not matter about your background. They hire people from all over the place. They have offices all across the Southeast. So make sure you check them out. If you need a change and you want to actually be fulfilled in your career, Make sure you check out J.E. Dunn. That's jedunn.com. And, of course, tell them that 440 Sports sent you. At the very end of each one of these episodes, I will go ahead and give you what my media ballot looks like for the teams that went that day. So today I will tell you where I've got LSU, Ole Miss, and Mizzou picked in my official standings, in my official ballot. I will do that, of course, at the end of each episode this week. Let's start with Greg Sankey. I think Greg Sankey... Didn't really say a whole lot today. I thought it was one of his most tame, most calm deliveries to open SEC Media Days. But I think the number one thing was the unregulated marketplace. That is the phrase he used to describe name, image, and likeness. To me, that is the commissioner signaling to everybody what we already know, which is that they have to find out a way to regulate and put in guidelines for name, image, and likeness. It just it was not one of the more memorable commentaries from the commissioner. This is a guy who has been leading for the better part of two or three years through the pandemic and expansion and all this other stuff, playoff conversations. And I think the bottom line is, is everyone here, and I got this sense across the board on Monday, that just not a lot of intensity. It's a very subdued first day of, of action, the most subdued that I can ever remember. And so I think what was interesting is that there just wasn't a whole lot of, I think for me, Greg Sankey, 
not a lot of reasons for him to step to the podium and make a bunch of news. So I don't think he really had much to say today other than confirming the fact that we, we need to get this unregulated marketplace under control. Uh, you'll hear from Scott Ravelli of the Baton Rouge Advocate talking about Jaden Daniels, the quarterback situation, Brian Kelly, all that stuff coming up in just a second. We'll talk Lane Kiffin, and we'll talk with Dave Matter of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch about all things Mizzou in a second. But B.J. Ojolari, the defensive end for outside linebacker, pass rusher for LSU, to me was the highlight of the entire first day. Uh, I had a chance to talk to him for just a second. I'm going to play you a clip about LSU's rivalry with A&M and Florida. I know we've had a lot of conversations about that, and I think A&M is a huge rivalry, and I had a chance to talk to him, so I'll let you hear that in just a second. But he was also asked what student media can do better, you know, to do their jobs, and, and, and as a player, what what's his perspective? And honestly, he gave an answer that would be better than most guys who own media companies, most, most presidents, and a whole lot of teams in all of sports. He basically just said, just spend some time with the athletes, get to know us, you have access to us, you're on campus, you're in our classrooms, just build a relationship and get to know us and tell our stories, and we're way more likely to help you and, and be comfortable with you and give you good answers. And I was like, dude, you're like a student, you're like a 21-year-old kid, how are you giving an answer that every... CEO to every team and every <laughs> every veteran, you know, president of every media company should be answering. So uh, he he was really really impressive. Just a smart, good young kid. And again, as I always say, the biggest and best parts of this entire event is always the players. Uh, I asked him about the Florida rivalry, which Booger McFarland and I have gotten into fights about. And I asked him about the Texas A and M rivalry and what those mean to him. And here's what he had to say. The rivalry of, uh, of the Gators, man, it's like no other. Every time we play Florida, I don't know, I don't know what it is, but the rivalry is crazy. I got, I got a couple uh, great, great friends at the University of Florida, and they're an amazing team, uh, and they're going to be a great team. They're going to be one of the teams to beat this year, actually. So I know going into the swamp is going to be a great atmosphere, and I know it's going to be rocking. Has the Texas A&M rivalry gotten? As heated? Yeah, I, I think so, because, you know, uh, since I've been here, we've been going back and forth with Texas A&M. Uh, we're, going, we're going to Texas A&M uh, this year. So my first year, Texas A&M, it, it was COVID, but the stadium was still still really live, in my opinion. So it's going to be a good time just being able to play there. I got I got a couple good homeboys over on that <laughs> side, too. So the rivalry is, you know, it's just bigger than just the institution. It's, it's really friendships and uh, relationships built into this. Look, I've been saying it, that the Texas A&M rivalry is more than just football, and B.J. Ojolari, as far as I'm concerned, just agreed with me, and I and I, there's another moment I had to catch up with him when we were off the air, and I, I said, what do you think about that I-10 thing, man? And he was like, oh, it's for real, it runs deep, and it's more than just football. So I, I think, I feel vindicated, frankly, that B.J. Ojolari was uh, agreeing with me that Texas A&M and LSU hate each other. Before we get to Scott Rabelais of the Baton Rouge Advocate, let's real quickly recap some of the things I heard from Brian Kelly today. A good friend of the pod, Chris Marler, of course, wanted to get on television, and he asked Brian Kelly in his best southern accent what was the best food he's eaten so far in Louisiana. His answer was crawfish etouffee, but he made sure he clarified that his accent is now three different accents. It is a Boston accent, a Midwest accent, and a Louisiana accent. And I don't know what that actually sounds like, 
probably sounds god-awful, but I think that was Brian Kelly trying to defuse the conversation while Chris Marler asked him a ridiculous question to get on television. Love you, buddy. Uh, however, his answer was brilliant. Crawfish etouffee. He started talking about some grilled oysters afterward. I'm about Monday evening, about to go throw down about three dozen of them here in Atlanta, uh, but I, I can't argue with the answers there. Crawfish etouffee for Brian Kelly and, uh, and grilled oysters. There's no question those are two high-quality answers. I also had a chance to hear him talk about and this is one of the weirder stories I heard him say. He said he went backwater fishing in Fushan, Louisiana, and caught a fish. Okay, that's not a really great story, but he said it was the first fish he's ever caught. He is over 60. How is it that it took you until after 60 years old to catch a fish? I know being a football coach is incredibly time-consuming. But you should have caught a fish by now, BK. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So, Scott Rabelais of the Baton Rouge Advocate, Brian Kelly... Shockingly, I was in the TV room with him, and there was like 12 people in there. I, it, again, very subdued first day of Media Days. Alabama, of course, will be day two, so I'm sure it'll be crazy. Uh, our conversation with Scott Rabelais, we covered Jaden Daniels, the quarterback situation, the offensive line, the defensive line, Brian Kelly getting acclimated to the SEC, uh, obviously the rivalry with Texas A&M, a whole lot of stuff here. So here was my conversation with the Baton Rouge Advocates, Scott Rabelais. Welcome to SEC Media Days, day number one, of course, LSU on day number one. Scott Rabelais joining us here from the Baton Rouge Advocate. And Scott, first, oh, I got to tell everybody, first of all, brought to you by J.E. Dunn, our great sponsor. If you want to work for J.E. Dunn, top 100 workplace in America, so go check them out. Uh, Scott, Brian Kelly today, his first experience as an SEC coach. How, how do we grade him? You've been to a lot of these. You've been, covered a lot of coaches. What, what were your thoughts on just his first day? Yeah, I thought he handled himself the way he needed to, and I think he needed to project there's a new era. Uh, this is uh, a program and a coaching staff to be taken seriously. But but he also was able to be self-deprecating a little bit too. You know, someone asked him the question, "What accent would you say is your favorite food?" And he said, "Well, I got a combination of a Boston accent and a Midwestern accent and now a Louisiana accent." So you know, referring to that viral video from the basketball game, uh, you know, when he was first hired. So I thought he handled himself pretty well. You know, it's a um, in, he's been. He's been very good for us to deal with so far and pretty forthcoming. And I think you need to project a, overall a projection of, of seriousness and, uh, and you know, the, the, the most accomplished, most respected coaches that I've ever seen at LSU were guys who were a little more no-nonsense, and, and that was Nick Saban and Bill Arnsparger back in the 80s. And I think Brian Kelly is someone in that vein. Yeah, and I, I agree with you because he, 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 you have the right answer, crawfish etouffee. I mean, that's the right it's the right answer. And grilled oysters. I would go with that one. I'd char grilled oysters. Or if you never had them, folks, you need to come have some. Well, in, in little cheddar on top, a little jalapeno, maybe. Uh, a lot of garlic, a lot of garlic, and uh, yes, and cheese. Yes. So he also said today, and this is the real important stuff that you and I like to talk about. Um, he also said today that he had never caught a fish before in his entire life, and he went backwater fishing in. And correct me if I'm wrong. Fushan is that? Fushan. And he went and caught a, a fish, and he goes, "It's the first time I've ever caught a fish." And I was like. Brian, you're almost like 65, 70 years old. Like, you haven't caught a fish in your whole life. I do think that the cultural thing is way overrated, though. I think you and I have actually talked about that. It, Nick Saban wasn't tied to Louisiana. If you come in and you put in your, your, your culture, your philosophy, LSU's got the players and it's got the brand to win football games. Yeah, I mean, look at the, the national championship coaches at LSU. Paul Dietzel was from Ohio, and it ties to Army. Uh, uh, Les Miles was from the Midwest. Nick Saban's from West Virginia. Ed Orgeron. Was a, was as fit as you could have, right. and he ends up not being able to sustain the program and gets fired. Uh, you know, he, he's as Louisiana as they come. 
So I, I think it's overrated. Look, people, will he be accepted? Will he fit at Louisiana? If he wins games, they'll accept him. If they, if they don't, it doesn't matter if you're a native son like Ed Orgeron. They're going to want you out. And LSU went 11 and 12 the last two years, and they had to make a change. You, you, can't, you can't do that at LSU. And Brian Kelly knows that. The, the bar is set very high, but the, the ability to win is very high. Uh, someone else asked him, you know, did the losses to Alabama in the, in, when you see them in the playoffs impact your decision? He said, well, no, I, w- I wouldn't say that, but it's the chance to have all the tools you need to win at a place like LSU which has won the most national title, has been up and down, but has won the most national titles over the last 20 years next to Alabama. And I think that's what attracted him. Well, it is talking season, so eventually you're going to tell a couple of white lies about why maybe you left Notre Dame to go to Louisiana. But that's just my opinion. He wants the five-star recruits. He wants to beat Alabama in those games, and that's where you can do at LSU. Much harder to do that at Notre Dame. Uh, I was talking to B.J. Ojolari about the A&M rivalry, and he said, yeah, I got a bunch of guys over there that I've known really well. I am convinced, tell me if I'm wrong, I'm convinced that LSU and A&M is now a more hated, more deeply rooted rivalry than even LSU-Bama or, or maybe some of the other ones that LSU's had. Magnolia Bowl is a great one. But because of the I-10 thing, because of Katrina and dis- displacement of people, because of the history in the 70s and 80s, and he said, you know what, I got a bunch of guys that live that, that, that play over there, and we know each other really well. Do, do you believe, am I, am I right that LSU and A&M are blossoming into a bigger rival than almost anything else that, that LSU faces right now? I think it's growing, but I think the LSU, there's still this big – inferiority complex with Alabama and and the fact that Nick Saban was LSU's coach and he went over there. it's it's more about it's probably more about Nick than it is about Alabama so uh but Texas A&M you have a lot of those similarities there's geographic similarities as close as two schools as from LSU's perspective uh this uh, the whole uh, petrochemical industry more LSU alums live in Houston than anywhere outside of Louisiana um it, it has it has become a, a great rival, and of course you've had some of the things, the seven overtime game and the fight afterwards, and the, you know LSU beat them the next year, and the LSU, they beat LSU, and they, it's gone back and forth, and um, and so I think the um, I, I think I think it has importantly they used to play a lot, you know LSU in the '60s, the the '70s, the '80s, LSU and Texas A&M used to play a lot. What's going to be interesting to me is with Texas and OU joining the league. Will this continue to be such a big rivalry? Will they continue to still play on the last weekend of the season or not? Because LSU's issue continues to be whoever they have a big rivalry with, that school has someone bigger. Alabama's got Auburn. Ole Miss has the Egg Bowl with Mississippi State and vice versa. Uh, Texas A&M has Texas. And are they going to play again in the last game of the year? I've heard, I've heard it both ways. I think if there's three permanent opponents per school with a nine-game schedule, I think LSU and A&M continue to play every year. But if it's just one, then I don't think Texas A&M is going to be that one. I tend to agree with that. I'd love to see it as a permanent rivalry here. So let's the actual team. Uh, there's obviously a quarterback battle. I think they're a better situation this year at this time than they were last year at this time for the quarterback situation. But the offensive and defensive lines are huge questions as well. Which one do you think is more in, like I think they're going to be pretty good. I think they're going to hit the over. I think Brian Kelly gets them to a point where they're pretty good quickly. I think they're limited from an upside standpoint, but I do think they're going to be pretty good quickly. Quarterback situation gets ironed out first. Offensive and defensive line gets ironed out first, and which one is more important? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think this team has an has a up, upside of about nine wins, but I don't think they're going to win only six. I've seen a lot of six-and-a-half six, six predictions, and I think that's a little low for LSU. I think they got a, a great chance that they can – Beat Florida State in the opener and and beat Mississippi State at home and go to Auburn. They have a chance to start five and zero, oh. and, and then you know you gain some confidence and then you hit the real tough part of the schedule in October and November. But uh, clearly, got to got to figure out the, the quarterback situation. You, you went from 
having a backup, uh, having a wide receiver play quarterback in the Texas Bowl against Kansas State, to now you got four guys in there, including Miles Brennan, who's a sixth-year senior, who was here when Danny Etling uh, was here in 2017. It's hard to believe, but it, but it's true. Uh, Jaden Daniels coming in from from Arizona State. Uh, this, you know, Miles. I like him for the experience. Daniels, I think people think he fits more the offense that Kelly and Mike Denbrock want to run at LSU, so we're going to see. That was not decided at all in the spring. They're going to have to iron that out in August. Um, offensive line is key. Brian Kelly said that to us earlier today. The, the success of this team depends on how the offensive line comes together. I think the defensive line is going to be very good. We've got like B.J. Ojolari who's here you know, as, as kind of a rush end uh, 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 They've got some, you know, they've got some talent and depth there. And to me, that's always what's made the good SEC teams, the elite teams, really good is their ability on the defensive line. So that needs to be better. Could, could this LSU team be eight and four, good, much better than last year, and still finish fifth, maybe in the West? Well, it's it's a it's a, d- a deep division. I mean, you know, I th- I think you know I think they're going to be picked third or fourth behind Alabama, A and M, and maybe Arkansas. Um, depends on how much faith you have in Ole Miss, who beat LSU last year in Oxford or not. Miss State, are they gonna, you know, they gonna improve? It's 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 tough. I mean, yeah, I mean, you, yeah, you could you could you could go four and four and be tied way down there. You know, I, I could see that, and, and then win the rest of your games. So that's uh, that, that's definitely a possibility for LSU. I don't think anyone, even though it's hard an LSU fan, I don't think you're expecting them to be back here in it in, in Atlanta in December in the championship game. But I think uh, the chance of them going to a reasonably good bowl game, uh, you know, uh, you know, winding up in Tampa or Orlando or something like that after going eight and four, nine and three is a possibility. There you have it. Nobody better in the business. Scott Rabelais, Baton Rouge Advocate, covering, of course, all things LSU. Check him out on the Twitter as well as the .com. And, of course, remember J.E. Dunn sponsoring all the great content from SEC Media Days this week. We'll talk to you guys again soon. Make sure you follow Scott, of course, everywhere he does work on the Twitters, theadvocate.com, all that great stuff. He's one of the best in the business and has covered LSU as long as anybody out there. So make sure you go check him out. I, listen, I think it was interesting he said that Jaden Daniels allows him and Mike Denbrock to do the most stuff that he wants with the offense. I think that is a really interesting angle. I think Jaden Daniels is probably the most complete and talented player of the bunch. Miles Brennan's been there for a million years. I, I think it'll be interesting. I think the offensive line is far more important. Honestly, I just think if, as long as the offensive line develops, I'm not sure it matters who plays quarterback. I think LSU will be better. And it does sound like Scott agrees that, that this is a good football team and will be better than they were last year and doesn't understand some of the bad predictions on this team, but that they are not an elite team yet, which, again, no surprise, this is not a 9 or 10 win team. All right, let's transition over to Lane Kiffin, who looked very tan, who looked very chill, had the Nike sips going when he walked by. Uh, listen, I, I honestly, I was uh, being yelled at by Jim from Tuscaloosa on Feinbaum when, when Lane Kiffin was in the big room, so I did not have a chance to listen to a lot of what he had to say. But, but here's what's really, really weird about Lane Kiffin, and I think this was true in every room that he went in and some of his players, to be honest. Lane Kiffin has this bigger-than-life personality on Twitter. He's a big troll. He likes to say all this crazy stuff. He likes to do all this crazy stuff. But he's just not that crazy. I, I, in fact, I was talking to a, an Ole Miss beat writer off the record about I don't think he likes being in front of crowds. Like I have minor case of social anxiety disorder, and I do not like speaking in front of crowds. I can sit here in my hotel room and ramble into this microphone, but I do not like getting up in front of crowds. And I actually think Lane Kiffin, what I was told, is very similar. And He's just sort of this chill, quiet, relaxed, weird, odd dude that like when you get him out away from social media, away from Twitter and away from, you know, big rooms, he's 
he kind of just keeps to himself. And I think that that came across in some of the other interviews he did. Uh, I think he likes his team, but I don't think he loves it. Otherwise, I think we'd be hearing a lot more from Lane Kiffin. Much like Greg Sankey, I think Lane Kiffin was one of the, I don't want to call it a dud, but it just was kind of the bo- a boring part of, of the media days in day number one because Lane is, I think he knows he's rebuilding and replacing a lot of talent. Chance Campbell and Matt Corral, the two leaders of that team on offense and defense. So, uh, again, I'll give you my, my prediction on where I think Ole Miss is going to be. But I am not surprised that Lane Kiffin was pretty chill and pretty relaxed. Again, knowing the type of guy that he is off the air and away from Twitter and, and then knowing where his team is at. And then, again, the sort of overall subdued vibe of the event. I thought Lane Kiffin just sort of showed up, walked around, uh, took off, said a few words, and then took off back for Oxford. So I don't I, I honestly, I wish I had more to add to you uh, about what took place at Media Days uh, for Ole Miss, but it was not a very entertaining atmosphere and exercise for them. The players were great. Uh, the guys were great for Ole Miss. There's no question about that. Uh, Mizzou, the Mizzou Tigers, had a chance to catch up with Dave Matter of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. So we'll do that here momentarily. I think one of the things I want you to really listen to him talk about is explaining wide receiver Barrett Bannister. He is a senior, going to be a captain, a walk-on, a guy that grew up in a family that loved a bunch of other teams. Again, I'm I'm stealing Dave Matter's thunder here because he explained it all better better than this. But along with the lines of B.J. Ojolari, I think Bannister was really interesting to talk to and listen to because these are guys, this is a guy who sort of embodies what being a student athlete is all about going from where he was coming out of high school and his upbringing to being a representative of his university at at this particular event again we we can say what we want to say about Missouri and maybe they're not going to be all that great this year but I I think he is the type of player and there are almost I mean almost all these guys are, are qualified like this but he's the type of player that is an extraordinary representative of his university while also telling the story of what a student athlete is all about. So uh, really interesting cat there, uh, Barrett Bannister, senior wide receiver for Mizzou. All right, so we talked about would Missouri like to change conferences? What if Kansas went to the Big Ten? Would they go to the Big Ten? We talked about, obviously, the guys, the players that were there represent. We talked about the pressure on Eli Drinkowitz entering year number three, which tends to be a difficult year for coaches. And we talked a lot about the quarterback battle as well. So here was my conversation with Dave Matter of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Standing here with Dave Matter of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, of course, this all brought to you by J.E. Dunn, our wonderful title sponsor. If you want a great career, top 100 place to work in America, 2022 best place to work, make sure you check out jedunn.com. All right, got that out of the way, Dave. All right, Eli Drinkwitz goes on day number one. He's sort of an interesting cat. He doesn't always fit into all the same personas of of the other ball coaches that are in the SEC. What, what was your impersonation? It's the third third time he's been through this now. Um, how, how do you think he did day day number one? And, and any, any highlights for you personally from talking to him? I thought he was a little bit more subdued maybe than he was last year. Last year he kind of came out guns blazing and had a lot of hot takes. And the, the Oklahoma Texas news had just happened, so he he you know he he shared a lot of thoughts on that. And I thought I thought he was thoughtful. I thought he has got a lot of things he kind of wanted to address, but not in a, a real hot take you know, this will go viral on Twitter kind of approach. So maybe he's maturing a little bit or just kind of figuring out who he is in, in front of the camera and all that. But, um, you know, he's got opinions on a lot of the things that have impacted college sports, and he's dealing with a lot of those things. And I, I think he genuinely cares about the future of, of college sports, college football. I think he's genuinely concerned about some of the realignment stuff, some of the NIL stuff, a lot of the same things that Lane Kiffin was kind of touching on too earlier in the day. 
Well, and so, and I, Brian Kelly was asked about it as well today, and there, there seems to be a pretty standard sort of like, it's ruining the game, the mega conferences are coming, Nick Saban's had comments about it. Here's my, my question, and, and maybe this is for you also, maybe through the words of Eli, but that is, does anyone have a solution? Because Greg Sankey today a little bit alluded to sort of how it's just unregulated chaos. Right, and the coaches seem to be like, well, it's up to you guys to fix it, not us. We just play the game the way you tell us to and find the loopholes and, and whatever that is. Um, I don't know. I, I think they're kind of taking the approach that that's not their job and that they need uh, there needs to be more leadership, more direction. But then who do you want to be making those decisions? Just the conference commissioners, um, just the people on the, the playoff uh, committee. You know, we don't know who's we don't know who the NCAA uh, president's going to be going forward. They probably don't even want one. So I don't know. It's a, a lot of complaints, obviously, but not a lot of solutions. No, it's not. And, and I think what's interesting uh, about the realignment stuff is that I've always and, – and listen, you're the Mizzou expert here. Uh, I, it's one of the few towns in the SEC I've not been to in the interest of full disclosure. Um, but it's always felt like it walked, talked, and acted a little bit like a Big Ten school. There's some history there from previous elements of realignment. Do you, do you believe – like, I, I don't know what Sankey would do if Missouri went to them and said, hey, we're interested in the Big Ten, or vice versa. I don't know what they would do. I, it's illegal to kick a school out, basically. But I'm curious what fans would do. If I, if I told you the paycheck wasn't going to change, if it was going to be $100 million guaranteed for the next 30 years, and you're in, right, you're above the cut in the Big Ten or the SEC, what would Missouri fans choose? I think you could get a lot of different answers depending on who you ask and where you ask in the state of Missouri. It's a very complex state to where you've got two you know metro areas on this on the coasts in Kansas City and St. Louis. Springfield feels much more like the south. Um, the Boot Heel feels a lot more like the south and then you go up in northern Missouri places that are you know connected to Illinois and Iowa. Um, you know those feel more like kind of Big Ten country. Um, just the, just the culture and the terrain and and just who they neighbor. Uh, so I, I think you'd get different answers. I, I think part of the part of the reluctance to leave would be we just joined this thing you know we don't want to leave with our tails between our legs and say hey we we weren't cut out for this let's go it'll be easier in the big 10 uh i think and two sec east championships which is more than kentucky vanderbilt south carolina and all of them combined so missouri has already proven that if you get the right coach you recruit well and you get the right structure and leadership you can win here now you also need georgia to be down a little bit florida to be down a little bit but part of making those programs down is you being up um, Missouri was beating those teams back then, so um, it's possible. Definitely, I, I don't. I don't think the majority of fans would would prefer the Big Ten over the SEC. And also, these decisions, the fans may look at it like, well, let's look. What would a Big Ten schedule look like this year? Well, that's not what this is based. on. It's not based on hey, maybe you can beat Wisconsin and Northwestern and Nebraska this year, and you can't beat Georgia and Florida and Tennessee. This is more. These are, these are long-range decisions, and it's probably a good thing that the fans aren't the ones making the decision. What if Kansas is in the Big Ten? Does that change their opinion? Um, well, it, maybe it, it might be. I mean, Missouri fans love playing Kansas. Uh, they're getting now two in basketball. I don't know if that's a good thing. Um, they've got a series uh, eventually to play them in football. Nobody really cares about Missouri-Kansas football that much. It's more of a basketball thing. But, um, yeah, it, 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 I think it would be more in the yay pile than the nay. Absolutely. So let's let's talk about the actual team because that's what we're here to do is talk about the football team and that the quarterback battle. I, do you have any sense at all of what's changed in the last six months, eight months, as far as I'm sure he didn't say anything today that, that that illuminated any of that. Well, the fact that they went out and got a transfer and, and struck out on several transfers they were trying to add. I mean, Eli made it clear he was going after pretty much every high-profile Power Five guy that was out there on the market, and they ended up with Jack Abraham, 
brought him in as a walk-on just because you know he didn't have a lot of great options. He's going to be 25 this fall. He's 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 seen a lot. I mean, he's he's played a lot of college football, and that's what they're looking for. Just somebody to, if not win the job, at least push the other guys and have a veteran on on the team. Um, it's the one thing kind of lingering, hovering over this team that is an absolute unknown, uh, because I think they've upgraded pretty much every other group on this team and or at least addressed them but when you don't know who your quarterback's going to be it's it's hard to slot you know who's going to finish where and say oh just give them the benefit of the doubt they'll figure it out that's the most important position in the sport so I think that's why there's some reluctance that's why you only see like the over under for Missouri like five and a half if they knew who their quarterback was and they came out of spring saying this is our guy he's going to be the leader then maybe the, the confidence goes up a little bit but it's still a competition. If Connor Bazelak is there, is it six, seven wins, or is that? I would think so because when he's healthy, he was a pretty good quarterback for at Missouri. He got hurt last year. They played him hurt. Probably didn't you know help their cause too much that he was out there injured. And um, but you know it just didn't work out. He goes to Indiana. I, I expect him to have a good year there if he's healthy because he is a good college quarterback. But. Um, you know, he was a guy that you knew what you had at him. You just don't really know what you have and these guys they have now. Uh, Auburn and Arkansas, of course, in crossover. The East is, again, I, I don't know about you, but I can't remember a time where every fan base in the conference is kind of happy about their team yeah. outside of Auburn, and I'm not sure Auburn counts, honestly. But if, if you look at Tennessee, they feel bullish. Kentucky's a really good program right now. South Carolina's overachieving last year. Vandy, I don't, I don't know to make of them, but I think that we all know that how long the rebuilding process is. So what is it? What would the fans do if it's a losing season? And the recruiting is still good because he's been a great recruiter. Yeah. What happens? I mean, is it just six and six and keep recruiting and people are happy and fine going into year four? Because year three tends to be a big one for coaches in the SEC. And, and right now, Missouri's actually losing out on some in-state recruits that are going elsewhere. Now, Eli made the point today. I asked him about it. He said, they can't sign till December. Game's not over. Okay, sure. And then he's done a good job of flipping some recruits over the last couple of years. So that's the thing that I think the the folks that are buying in on this 2022 team are kind of hanging their hat on recruiting and not so much the results on the, on the field. Uh, and they think that will eventually turn and may, maybe it will, maybe that'll be the difference. He did say today, he believes this is his most talented of the three teams he's had. It's just, when you've got a big question mark at quarterback, it's, it's hard to pay attention to, yeah, they're actually pretty good at, on, at linebacker and their offensive guards are better. You know, it's, it's still that thing that's kind of hovering there. So yeah, people won't be pleased. Uh, I think you want to see progress. You know, they go 6-6 six and six last year, a weird bowl game where half the team didn't play, uh, including their only really good player in Tyler Beatty. Uh, win seven this year, I think you should feel good about that. But you're right now, on paper, you'd have to upset a few teams to get to seven. No, I think seven wins would be a heck of a year. Uh, tell us about the guys that are here, the players at least. I've already had a chance to talk to a couple guys from LSU. and I, I am con consistently amazed at the players that come to this event. They are the best people. The stories are amazing. We don't get access to them ever, so like it's great to actually get a chance to talk to them. Kind of give, give the fans a sense of sort of who these guys are and kind of just maybe some anecdotes about each of these guys. Isaiah McGuire is a pretty good defensive end that quietly put up really good numbers last year as an edge rusher, uh, a senior who came back. And probably, I don't think he could have gone to the NFL, but he has a chance to make um, make some money this year for sure. Martez Manuel is a Columbia kid from Rockbridge High School, a mile away from Mizzou's campus, and uh, has been a, a multi-year starter, nice player in the back end. The neat story is Barrett Bannister, wide receiver, came back for his sixth year of college, um, grew up in Fayetteville, uh, had deep ties to Arkansas's program. His uncle was a coach at Arkansas and at Auburn. Grew up in SEC country, 
comes to Mizzou as a walk-on. It was a huge deal when he got playing time. Then it was a huge deal when he went on to get a scholarship. Now it's a huge deal that he plays. And then he gets invited to SEC Media Days, and he's probably going to be a team captain this year, I would think. So he is kind of soaking it all in, um, really enjoying the experience. You know, some guys just kind of go through the motions, but he really seems to be enjoying himself here. And he's become like this great ambassador for the program. Uh, he, sorry, give me to cut you off. He, he is, that's the type of guy that when you come to this event, as long as we've been coming to this event, that's the type of guy you go, that's why you go to college and play football. Like, that is the reason you get to do it, because he's not playing in the NFL, but to, to come here, this is going to be a highlight of his life, and I think that's that's a really cool thing. So, uh, obviously, check out jedunn.com if you're looking to change careers, regardless of background, top 100 workplace, 2022 best place to work, industry-leading benefits, all that great stuff, and, of course, bringing you all this free content from this beautiful place, the College Football Hall of Fame. Dave Matter, make sure you check him out all over the Twitters as well. St. Louis Post-Dispatch, the best guy in the business covering your Mizzou Tigers. Thank you, dude. All right, my pleasure. Make sure you check out Dave Matter, St. Louis Post-Dispatch, one of the best in the business. I find it really interesting that, you know, what would they want to leave for the Big Ten if they if the fans chose? And then he sort of broke down and dissected the state of Missouri and how they all kind of have different situations and areas of what they like. And I just think that's really, really interesting. Uh, if Kansas goes, he said they might, they might be more interested. So a lot of pressure on Eli Drinkowitz. It, you know, nothing to be great. But if they get to a bowl game and recruit well, I think people are going to be pretty happy about this team. So we'll get to my predictions here for all three of these teams coming up here momentarily. want to say special thanks to J.E. Dunn, of course, our title sponsor, one of the best places to work in all of the United States. Does not matter your background. Does not matter your career experience. Check them out, jedunn.com. They want you to come work for them. If you're all about energy and teamwork and being fulfilled and working for a place that cares about you, industry-leading benefits, one of the top 100 healthiest places to work work and a 2022 best place to work voted on so make sure you just go check them out je done they are make they're providing our trip to atlanta and providing all this killer content for uscc football fans so make sure you go check them out they got offices all across the southeast growing like crazy five billion dollars in annual revenue so make sure you check out jedun.com that's the website go there Got a lot of stuff planned for you guys coming up as well. So let me get to my final predictions here before you send you on your merry way and I can go drink some whiskey and eat some oysters. All right, number one, I think LSU is going to be pretty good. But I think they could be a top 25 team. But I think they are fifth in the SEC West. I would pick them fifth right now. I think fourth is probably where they're going to end up being picked. But I would pick them fifth right now in the SEC West. That would be my prediction, eight and four. Ole Miss, where would I place the Ole Mississippi Rebels? I think this is an easy schedule on the front end and an incredibly difficult schedule on the back end. I think Lane Kiffin on Monday did not really exude all that much confidence, although he looked very relaxed and very chilled and very tanned and very slim and slender in his fancy blue suit and his cool Nikes. I think this team is sixth in the West. That is my official prediction for the Ole Miss Rebels. I think this is a 7-5 and five team, 6-6 six and six if they slip up early in the season. I think that is also a testament, as I've said millions of times, to Lane Kiffin and the job he's done to lose arguably the best player in school history after the best season in regular season school history and still end up with a winning record and going to a bowl game. I think that's quite a testament to Lane Kiffin. So I'm going to go sixth, but I still think that's a winning team and a bowl team in the SEC West. The Mizzou Tigers. I struggle with this because I think they are better than people think, and I think they're going to match up well with South Carolina, and I think they're going to upset some people this year. But I have them sixth in the East. 
The Mizzou Tigers, Eli Drinkowitz, year number three, five and seven, sixth place in the East, ahead of Vanderbilt, and behind everybody else in that division. So that would be my final prediction for LSU, Ole Miss, and Mizzou. We got Sankey, Brian Kelly, Lane Kiffin, and of course, Eli Drinkwitz on day number one. We are going to continue to have great coverage for you all week long, so make sure you check it out all over the YouTube page, 440 Sports, 440 Sports on Twitter. You get to me, Braden Gall, at Braden Gall, and I'll continue to crank out these podcast recaps for you each and every day. Again, Thursdays will be a little late because i got to get on a plane and go back to my wife and kids. But you know what? In the meantime, I'm going to try to enjoy some good food, drink a little whiskey here uh, on a Monday evening. Otherwise, thank you guys all for listening. Rate, review, subscribe, share the show. We love you so much for the support. And again, J.E. Dunn, folks. Tell them 440 Sports sent you. Thank you for listening. This has been Fringe Element.